Welcome to the second part of our conversation with Dominic Fernow. Today we head to Providence, but not before Dominic's first attempt at booking a legendary noise artist in Madison, Wisconsin. Both of these conversations lead to an incredible story of his trip to Lowell, Massachusetts on Halloween 1999. We hope you enjoy part two of our talk with Dominic Fernow. And that leads me to a very important and under-documented and underappreciated early noise internet phenomena, which was NoiseWeb, which was run by Tim from Abfall. Wow. Do you remember NoiseWeb, Gray? I do, but vaguely. It was sort of like an aggregate site. It would just have links to other stuff and little news. So-and-so is doing this. Also, obviously, the alt.noise. Yeah. And I don't know if it was noise web. I think it was noise web or all that noise. But this is back in the days of dial up modem, getting the free AOL CE, waiting 15 to 20 minutes for the connection to be made. And then having Mm -hmm. 30 minutes to look for whatever. Yeah. For me, immediately that meant Stone Temple Pilots, Scott Weiland, red hair video. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even know there was videos online. It was like picture. Yeah, yeah picture. right. You were just yeah. trying to look for a picture. Wait the five minutes yeah. for it to download. Yeah. <laughs> At that time, I was making general posts about hospital. We exist. And I think at the time it was really obnoxious. Oh, we're like a surrealist data collective of improvisers and performance artists <laughs> that are interested in grindcore and death metal and noise and industrial music. And this would have been on NoiseWeb? It's either NoiseWeb or Outside Noise, but I think okay. I'm leaning towards NoiseWeb. Okay. Outside Noise, that, that compilation CD is full of heavy hitters and one of the like things I bought very, very early on. Yeah. And that, that one's like, we should probably talk about that for an episode sometime because that alt-noise CD from 97 I'll, uh, is I'll really... weigh back that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, it's Incapacitance, K2, Mertzbau. Macro. Namanax, Government Alpha, Macro, uh, two assistant deputy oh. ministers, Kazo Dio, Deutsch Nepal. Uh, you know, there's the alt-noise compilation of, like, I don't know, was it people that were all active on alt-noise back then? I wasn't really, but I had awareness of it accidentally. Maybe even from Romer, I don't know. Right. We said, we do shows, meaning we book public parks. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah, hours. yeah. And, with, with, uh, <laughs> yeah. and there's an electrical yeah. outlet. <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be yeah. a $25 ad in the newspaper. There might be some kids in the audience wandering around from the neighborhood. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. The first piece of mail that I ever received, let alone not letter writing, but the thing I ever got cold was the promo package from Death Squad for the self-annihilation tour. Whoa. When he was in that, when he was, when he was tour. just by himself mm-hmm. in a car, going to do a whole U S tour. Well, it was the promo city had radio sound and chapter 23, which was the collaborative project. Right. I remember it vividly. It was a, one of those priority mail eight and a half by 11 generic envelopes, yeah. mm-hmm. the full flyers, the theological genocide album announcement, all the statements from Contreras, the, the promo CD in the slimline of, it's called Prosthetics. My mom's cooking dinner in the kitchen and I get the priority mail envelope from Death Squad. 
<laughs> wow. And I think there's a little note. Hey, I saw you guys do shows. I'm doing this tour. If you're interested in doing something. Just like, uh, like, uh, just like sending out oh, it's such a cool time. We should totally book like this show. Yeah. <laughs> we knew enough that we couldn't do it in the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We started calling around and we couldn't get anywhere. We called to the loft, which was a really important venue. They had done a battle of the band series. It was like a teen center. It was the first death metal show that I went to. It was a band called Autism from Milwaukee, again. And at the time, you know, all my uh, friends had respectable, legitimate shirts, you know, like Pierce from Within or (laughs) Incantation or something. At the time, I was like, I'm going to wear the hardest shirt I have. Uh Uh-huh. It was the Rage Against the Machine Che Guevara shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm coming. I'm representing. Killing it. But so you tried booking it there. Just tried anything I knew, and yeah, it was all yeah. I just kept getting the door slammed in my face. Right, right. There was a Christian co-op <laughs> downtown that did performances. Right, right. I called them up with this experimental noise performance. Sky is on tour. Can you do the show? So we booked the show. Michael Nine said, I'm not going to be available at this address. Right after this date, so write me on email. He's going to be on tour. Yeah, he's yeah. going to be on the tour. Yeah. yeah. What's email? <laughs> so you, this, is, this is still, you didn't even have, this is pre- I didn't have an email address. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was something like self-annihilation at Hotmail. Right, right, right. <laughs> at Mindspring. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what Hotmail is, but I know it's fucking evil because Death Squad has it. <laughs> I don't care, but I'm getting a hotmail address. <laughs> wow. Yes. That's the best reason I've ever heard to get a hotmail yeah, address. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so reckless because I had no plan. <laughs> this guy's going to come from across the country. Like, I never even had the concept of, like, oh, he might need to stay somewhere. Right. Yep. Oh, right. Oh, does. Or yeah. get paid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to put him in my parents' house. There was no concept of money or food. Mm-hmm. Anything. Right. The venue eventually ended up finding out the name of the tour. And I remember following up with them like, okay, so the show's coming up. And they were like, we are not going to do this show. We do not represent this message. We do not represent self-annihilation. We do not resent. Theological so genocide. <laughs> yeah. So the yeah. first show I ever booked got oh, shut man. down by Christians. Ironically enough, later on, I was like, well, I guess they don't know about annihilationism. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you had to email Michael Nine and let him know that Christian shut down the show. And I don't remember. I was probably like the worst email anybody ever wrote. Man, this is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah. Christian shut down the show. It was just so, I was so green, you know, I was so naive. <laughs> so that was yeah, sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a major disappointment and a major fail. In total credit to Michael, it just made it 10,000 times more important and more intense. And his whole conception of ending the tour in Tokyo, flying back in time, whatever it was like the Y2K, it was going to be the end of the world in the year 2000. 
his idea was the second to last show be in Tokyo and then fly back to SF, therefore experiencing the end of the world twice, which is just pure genius. And there's so sick. I think it's the single most important event in American noise history is that tour because it was him alone and the level of documentation yeah, and the level of energy put into the flyers and the statements. It was the whole multimedia aspect. I don't think there's been a tour since that used multimedia concept to that level. And it wasn't there like different flyers for every single show, like different handouts so, yeah. and that. Yeah. Right. Right. And just the brutality of driving around America in the nineties, mostly alone. Ugh. Obviously I don't want to speak for him, but for me, it was a huge, huge, huge impact of just the idea that that was even somebody doing that. Meanwhile, we're here in Madison having the door slam in our face everywhere we go. The only option for us was playing outside. Right, so right, we, right. I couldn't even yeah. imagine somebody touring the country. Yeah. Let alone doing what he was doing. Yeah. And the, the intensity of what he did. So I have nothing but respect for, for Mike. Absolutely. But so you were sending out the bad timing comps to people. And now this is, if I'm not mistaken, this has been around the time that you end up going to Providence, correct? Yeah. I went to school in Rhode Island in Providence. I got my roommate assignment, called the guy up on the phone. It was Chris Lapke, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. It's still like one <laughs> of the most insane. I did not it's know still one of the most insane things ever. Yes. Yeah. And I was shocked. I talked to Chris one time on the phone before meeting him in 99. I said, oh, I do this stuff and I do that. He's like, oh, yeah, I do a label too. And I was like, what? And he, at the time, was working on Last Visible Doc. Yep. Which is a really cool psych label. And they were way more advanced than we were. So they did CDs, right? They did No, they did CDRs. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. Going back, remembering my friend trying to ask his parents to – go to a studio and record a hundred dollar CDR. Yeah. 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 Like this label <laughs> actually like does CDRs. Well, how much of these CDs cost a thousand dollars? Yeah. Yeah. My dad and I drove out there and I walk in the door and Chris had gotten there before I did. And he had of course chosen his side of the room. <laughs> Typical, right? <laughs> I walk in and there's a, Napalm Death Scum and a Godflesh Slate Man poster. Aww. And I knew I was in the right place. Mm-hmm. That is. Thank God. That's so insane. Amazing. I thought it was going to be a Basic Instinct poster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be pretty good, actually. Wouldn't mind one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hit it off and we came from very different backgrounds. It is unimaginable to me now the idea of somebody's telling you. You're going to go to a room with a stranger for a it's year insane. and it's, live there. It's yeah. insane. Somebody you've never that, met. It's, it's psychotic. Sharing a hotel with a stranger for a night is crazy. Let alone yeah. imagine that it's Albrecht. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or God forbid, Korean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's look at it from his perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Slate man. And actually, I give full credit to those guys. 
whoever was doing this psychological profiling. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, 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 they're like these they two know. guys. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this the fucking RA and the, and the Dean of Admissions or is it John Douglas? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Immediately started recording music. I think that yeah. day, maybe. He had an eight yeah. track. Mm-hmm. It was a Tascam eight wow. track, which I ended up using on History of AIDS, Troubled Sleep. Yeah. Mater Dolorosa, Fossil, all of the stuff in it. And it's because it had the four band EQ. And the four band EQ made all the difference. Yep. I brought up gear. Is this where <laughs> Gray might want to? Yeah, we'll, we'll just put this like behind it. the uh, Patreon, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll <laughs> on, we, this is going down the paywall. Yeah. yeah just yeah. tweet yeah. out yeah, that yeah, mixer yeah, name yeah. right now. The, <laughs> the trash work component, go to our Patreon. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a wooden trunk, an Eddie Bauer green wooden <laughs> trunk. Yeah. That was hospital productions. Wow. And it was the tapes and the covers, the flyers that I had available, and it all fit in one trunk. Now you should see the albatross of our storage space <laughs> for our archive. It's a disaster. You long for the days of that one trunk. I want to mention Sinkhole because it's never been mentioned. But it's one of the earliest noise websites, and Gray never. And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe you don't want it to be known. No, I just don't think about it like that. I was, uh, I was trying really hard back then, man. <laughs> Runs with the territory. Yeah, no, I know, I know. The first time I realized that music could be sexual, I was listening to uh, Pocket Rockers, and it was "Walk Like an Egyptian." <laughs> yes and it's I think still, it was 89 still 89. a sexy song the 49ers yeah. had won the Super Bowl I had yeah. a little black and white TV because that's all I could have at the time being in a maximum security prison <laughs> <laughs> no but Sinkhole absolutely I think Sinkhole is absolutely Sinkhole important. is an yeah. underrated and important yes. transitional early noise website it would come up in a surge because well, it had old stuff. The reason for that was because I couldn't get anyone to send me the only promo CDs I ever really got for sinkhole were like those string music tribute to Radiohead things from the, like the late nineties. I got on the mailing list for those. <laughs> Otherwise it was just stuff I was buying. So anything I bought that I thought was cool, I would, I would review anything I wanted to talk about. And I was really, but am ins- I wrong in saying that you did a review of a taint show? Uh, yeah, I drove three hours to see Taint in 2000 in, in Grand Rapids. But I mean, crazy to think that you reviewed the show. I did review the show, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have I have photos and stuff from from that. It was uh, uh, Taint, Lockwell, Numina and Goat, I believe. Dude, yeah, dude, that's crazy. That's what I meant to say about single. It wasn't that it had currents of it, it had the live reviews. So it felt more real. Yeah, I, I was trying to go to shows then. I just... Uh, very very few i mean i that the like first real real noise show i went to was that government alpha msbr thing in in 99 and from then on it was like i was obsessed with taint so when he was playing grand rapids three a three hour drive away i drove and took a disposable camera and went with my friend jim who was really into cold meat and stuff but not taint as much but he did have the um perversion at all cost box set uh even though he wasn't really into taint he let me borrow that about that box, that trunk I had of hospital stuff, this is one of the phenomenons and symptoms of this scene is that limited editions often are more limited 
than they say because of the actual reality of assembling these special packagings becomes too daunting or materials get damaged or destroyed in the processes. So for a lot of those early hospital tapes, as limited as they were, they're even more limited because half the additions never got made because I was living in this ridiculous idea of I'm going to go to Providence now. I've got the parts for whatever tape. I've got the parts for captivity dig through the wall. Yeah, I'll put it together when I need to and when I when I run out. Yeah. Years go by without a single order. That box is taking up room. It's even more limited than you think. Is the I point. have yeah. packaging for releases, like special packaging stuff. I'm sure you can probably relate to this, that I have been dragging around since like the year 2000. I... You know those boxes that uh, Pushy Gothic Gnome versus Charity Techno Gnome came the the black real boxes. Yeah, I have I have fifty of those. I've been hanging on to for twenty years, waiting for the right tape. I mean, I think even when we when we were uh, 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 writing with uh, Scott from Rend and mm-hmm. asking him about kind of some of those plague in oh, perspective. Yeah. You know, he's like, he's like, I think oh. it says there's an addition of 50. He's like, there's no way we did 50. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, like that is not, there's much less than that, yeah. you know, because it was what we had. You know, it's like people give give copies to like their family or like a friend or whatever. And they're not in the, they're not in the noise world. They're not in circulation. They're not, they're not in the possession of someone with like a Discogs account or who like would sell their noise tapes on eBay. They're, right. Or yeah. even go to a record yeah, store. Exactly. That's in a drawer or has been thrown away. Locals. This is what I mean. Locals. Yeah. Yeah. Localities. There's this intense veracity behind knowing every single person that's involved in what you do. And there's also an obscurity. You were forced into localities because you didn't have a choice because there was no internet. Yes. Yeah. It's like being in a family. It's like a bunch of fucking people you'd never want to interact with. But you're just forced to. I mean, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I I, th- I know I think Tara and I felt very similar as well being in Lexington, Kentucky. I mean, you know, yes, we did have the Internet. We were I was on the radio station. I saw it, those lawn chairs. Yeah, it's right. It's right. <laughs> yeah, but it still <laughs> felt. Oh, my bed. It felt <laughs> it, it, especially in those early yeah. those early years, year or two. It, it truly felt impossible mm-hmm. that we could ever, you know, we could ever really even get out of of that of the town, or even, you know, the thought of meeting someone, meeting skin crime, or meeting, you know, like that wasn't even like it was so foreign of such a foreign concept that just the idea of kind of staying in. But I think truly that that localism, like breed strange bedfellows yeah. too you know like you never know who you're going to end up with and how it's yeah. going to influence you and it i think it can make things much more interesting or not <laughs> you know either way yeah. so there and, was the razor room which is the holy grail for me the introduction to industrial music yeah yeah also it's where i got marduk nightwing oh yes yes, yes. the sounds of the animal kingdom by brutal truth brother death now inner so many and Hell also, yeah. my first Merzbau, Akasha Golva. That's your first Merzbau? Yes. That's an impenetrable Dude, one. <laughs> that is a nuts first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. Really notable on that. I don't know who is actually to be credited. That was the first time that I opened a CD, and on the inside of the insert, it was just a black flood. 
Right. Because a lot of the early CDs that my dad had, they weren't even printed. The inside was blank. Mm -hmm. It was white. Yeah, Underneath yeah. the tray was white. I remember seeing the first clear jewel case tray. You can print two sides yeah. of a CD tray <laughs> Yeah. in the it 80s. Shocking. Mm -hmm. So seeing Merzbaugh print the whole black, this yeah. is just genius. But Earwax was one of the other stores, right? Yeah, so Earwax opened afterwards. And you, Greg, I think you and I went. I know I've been to Earwax with, with, with Don, but I think you and I went to Earwax I'm, together I'm one time a, as well. Certainly we went there together. I bought yeah. a Nirvana in utero t-shirt, <laughs> uh, which I still have. And uh, Hey, you know what? If I'm going to hang, it's going to be that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a, I don't know, four-hour discussion with Mike the other day. Yes, yes. I just talked at Mike for four hours about how I didn't like rock music. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> yes, he did. I did this mention in utero as an exception. So the reason why that was so critical is Razor Room was the entry point for black metal, for noise, for Merzbau, but Earwax was the first to actually carry our stuff. Oh, wow. I went cool. to Earwax and I said, we have this label. I mean, I'm talking maybe 10 releases, maybe less. Mm -hmm. Keeping in mind, currently, as we're speaking, we're over 700. Yeah, right at the beginning. Not yeah. that I'm saying that having 700 is a good thing. <laughs> the disaster. <laughs> they were like, yeah, okay, we'll take your stuff on consignment. Even the micro cassette version package in the refrigerator box? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> the store is amazing. Unfortunately, very tragically, it is gone now only in the last, I think, three years. Yeah. Oh. I was devastated to hear the news. They really toughed it out. And for a while, they had a second location in Milwaukee. Wow. It was punk metal, but they also carried noise. And I got Incantation, Diabolical, Conquest, Enemy Soil, The Ruins of Eden. They didn't have a lot of noise. But they did have this compilation seven inch. I got a mm. couple of Garo Gary Gay Gay seven inches there. But this was my first noise comp that I bought in the store, which ironically enough is from a very underappreciated and important New York label, Ignimivus. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Run yeah. by Kyle Lapidus. Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The comp is Easter Puberty and Amplifiers. Ignimibus yeah. Records presents Holiday Attractions. It had high wear. It had dog. Shout out to, to EJ. Yeah. K Salvatore, which is Pat from Nonek, who I would later work with now, Kuth. Yep. Cocky SP, of course. Most importantly was to live and shave in LA and ASM, which is Mark Jameson from Skincrack. So when I got to Providence... There's a street up the dorm. It's called Thera Street. There's a bunch of record shops up there. And I mean, I was fresh off the boat. This is September of 99. 99, wow. yeah. Just to put things in perspective, yeah. I went from rave to doing our own shows yep. to Milwaukee Metal Fest. The last year I went was 99 to moving to Providence in that summer. So the amount of different genres and music scenes at that time – I didn't have an internet connection. Yeah, I always say it's before, I didn't have a computer. You, it's before ubiquitous internet. That's what yeah. I always say. It's like, yes, it existed, but 
it wasn't. Yeah, if if you're lucky, you have Ethernet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I remember walking up to Thera Street by myself and seeing a guy with a staple gun putting up flyers. I glanced at the flyer and it said it had a Santa Claus giving the middle finger, and it said to live and shave in L.A. Landed and Fort Thunder. To live and shave in LA, that's on that seven inch comp that I got at Earwax. So sick. <laughs> Which, by the way, I had seen the CD of Masana Pussy Bad Smell at the Razor Room, but didn't buy it. This isn't a Masana album. Right, 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 right. What is this? Some weird naked guy on the cover. So I chased the guy down the street. And I said, hey, did you just put up this flyer? And he said, yeah. And it was Ben McCosker from Load Records. I can't believe it was a noise show. I make noise. Are you going to see the haters at RRR and LOL on Halloween? My entire world just shattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Back to the bad timing comp, I had sent out those comps, and one of them was obviously Tehran. When I arrived at college, I knew, similar to Desklad, hey, don't write me, I'm going to be on the road. It was, hey, the return address was the College Street address before I had even gotten there. When I got to the mailbox, there was already a letter from Ron. So you you arrived at college. I and there arrived was any- at college yeah. to my first RR catalog. Oh, and amazing. it had the $2 matinee CD. Is that what it is, though? Is it $2 matinee? It's 2 o'clock matinee. 2 o'clock matinee. And it said, hey, thanks for your tapes. I'll take 20 copies or something, which was just <laughs> unfucking believable. Right. <laughs> of the bad timing comp. Ben said, are you going to see the haters in LOL on Halloween? But first, I had to go to Fort Thunder. Right. It was totally illegal and secretive. The Flyers never had any address, so it was just like the rapes. So he said, well, you just walk down this street and you just keep walking until you pass this bridge on the highway. And it's this big warehouse building on the right-hand side. You can't miss it. So I'm just alone walking in the dark for a long ass time. And it was cold as hell. Yeah. This is just fucking insane. This place doesn't exist. It's nowhere. But it probably felt like an eternity. It felt like just forever. You know, when you're walking it, you don't know what you're looking for. Sure enough, there it was over the bridge on the right-hand side. I saw little lights on the window and I just went up to this door and I walked up the filthiest staircase I've ever walked up in my life. <laughs> this is back in the early days of the fort when they had all the stuffed animals on the ceiling. There was the whole room of umbrellas on the ceiling. There was a the whole room of bicycles attached to the ceiling, all upside down, everything hanging, paper mache, silk screen, wallpaper. I walked in the door and they were playing Masana Inner Mind Mystique over the PA system. <laughs> Oh. As the fucking yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, and it was Ben McCosker sitting there. It's like, oh hey, you made it or something. To live and shave played, and then landed played, which is in the side room, which I think was called the library. And I was shocked by landed. I was like, what is this? Like, it's just so insane. It's so fucked up. And this is back in the day when landed was infamous from when Dan set himself on fire. Yeah, yeah. He told me, oh, you know, I thought I was just going to do like a little on the sleeve, a little over the back for good luck. That's what he said. (laughs) Later in the hospital with second and third degree burns. Yeah. Lightning Bolt was a local band. I knew Brinkman from the uh, Penis Rectus comp. 
Right, because he's on that. And then also the Denshi Zatsuan issue, all in Japanese, couldn't read a word of it. Of course. But it had a tour report and it had pictures of Fort Thunder in it. <laughs> it was the issue with the haters on the cover, I think. Well, I also, I remember uh, on the Power of Salad and Milkshakes DVD released by Load, you can see you in the audience. My first show outside of Wisconsin was playing in class. It was at eight o'clock in the morning in sculpture <laughs> class. Yeah. My friend, Matt Kenny, who's a painter, we met at 7 a.m. He got a coffee and he helped me walk down the hill carrying my amp. And I had a bunch <laughs> of garbage bags that I'd taken from the cafeteria full of garbage, food garbage. Like oh. actual garbage, yeah. It was a mic hanging from the ceiling attached to the amp with a bunch of garbage bags on the floor in front of the amp. Bring just pants and shoes, and I painted myself with red powder paint. I ran in, knocked the mic like this, so it just started swinging, turned the amp on, so it was this explosion of feedback, and then just started tearing apart the fucking garbage bags of all the horrible food. At 8 in the morning. At 8 in the morning, and that was <laughs> 30 seconds or something. Right. And it was slipping because it was all this pancakes and french fries and all this garbage <gasps> from the cafeteria. <laughs> feedback going probably 30 45 seconds something like that <laughs> and we you we mentioned college i don't know if we mentioned or if you you want to mention but it's you went to the rhode island school of design oh yeah right oh yeah so this is happening at, at a, effectively in an art college a design college i think that's as far as we need to go with that <laughs> so the first performance was for a grade i didn't have a great time i didn't really get along with many of my professors yeah surprise i didn't get kicked out yeah, <laughs> right. But I also that that experience and whatever learning you did there certainly has influenced your process to what you do today. Still, right? There was some incredible teachers, predominantly Mark Miloff, who did something called drop paintings. Look it up; it's it's sick. Doug Scott was my typography teacher, which was very profound influence. Everybody else totally sucked, and I hate them all to this day. <laughs> I don't like universities. I don't like schools. The whole point of the thing was art criticism. Yeah. But all that really means is being able to say why. It's answering to why. Mm -hmm. Why do you like it? Why do you not? You can't just say you like it or you don't. All that is is just problem solving. It had value in that sense. Yeah. I can't imagine why anyone would have kids, but if I ever did, I would never send them to school. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so you – so. First performance, 8 a.m. There's actually a video of it. Released or you just have it? Unreleased, yeah. Uh, note to everyone out there, it's okay to not release everything. Yeah, <laughs> 700 releases yeah. later, yeah. I can stand by that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to just bring it full circle with, yeah. with Ignimibus, so even though it doesn't count because it's 2002, my first performance in New York was at the Knitting Factory, booked by the dude from Breath Mint. It was with Harm Striker, which consisted wow. of a meal from Kaki SP. And it was wow. also put on by Ignibibus. I took a train. I listened to Incantation Blasphemy on the Amtrak nice. on Discman. 
Nice. It was one of those 30 second shows. Yeah. Where I threw myself backwards doing feedback. I got my wallet stolen. Oh Brutal. Went back on the train. Uh, no wallet. No wallet. Jesus. It's like country mouse and city mouse. Like, hey, here's right. this, <laughs> this kid from Wisconsin going to the big city. Get a real New York experience. <laughs> We're going to get this sucker. Yeah. <laughs> you, got your, you got your pocket picked? I don't know if I straight up was pickpocketed or if it just popped out during my set. Yeah. Right. Yeah. About the haters on Halloween. Right. This is mm-hmm. it. Well, and it, and because as you had, as you had stated before, you know, basically the Halloween of 1997 was the, was the beginning. Can't reiterate the importance of Halloween in and of itself enough. Still worship and love and have deep nostalgia for Halloween and partially due to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my mind, two years was an eternity then. Uh, it absolutely yes. was. Yeah. And also just to think to go from some weird rave, Milwaukee Metal Fest, our own show, Fort Thunder, and then RRR in one year. That goes to show there's a reason that the label is diverse musically in that absolutely. sense. And it's been an indicator to this day that in many ways it is just the product and byproduct of my travels for better or worse, the people that I encounter along the road. It is very much a traveler on the road. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Document. And that's not to say that that's good or bad or the right way. It just happens to be the overarching link between all of the disparate elements is traveling. Yeah. Found out about the show. I called up Ron. I was nervous as hell. I answered the phone, records. (laughs) Yep, yep. Which I didn't know. You know, in my mind, it was RRR. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't records. Maybe maybe I've told this story before. The first time I called Triple R and he answered records, I hung up because I was so intimidated. (laughs) I called him. I was shocked by the name. And I was nervous, so I said, ah, is it I heard there's a, a show of the haters? Is that really true on Halloween? Mm-hmm. He said, so I'm like, you betcha, you know, you you be you betcha, buddy. There sure is. There sure is gonna be, you know. Used car yeah. salesman. Yeah. 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 Hey. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Mr. Bianchi. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Grogan. Yeah, yeah. Rod, I called him up. I said, is it really true there's going to be a hater show in Lowell on on, uh, on Halloween? He just fed me a line of BS. <laughs> but you know why? He said, yeah, it sure is, buddy. You know, you betcha, kiddo. <laughs> I was kind of hinting. Oh, I was thinking about coming down there. I'm coming from Providence or, uh, you know, is it, you know, let me make sure it's whatever. Yeah. And he's like, is this Dom from hospital? No way. He totally called me up. I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got your tape. Yeah, cool. Yeah, he said, yeah, come on down. We'll be here. Wow. And so I fucking went to Lowell. Now, that sounds innocuous now, but let me just put that in perspective. No car, no driver's license, no Mm. money, nothing. Took the Chinatown bus to South Station in Boston because there was no direct... Eight, you're 18 and you're by yourself. Totally by myself. Totally, yeah. yeah. 
I have a leather jacket. I think my jacket was XXL or so. I had a fucking leather biker jacket that was way too big. Yeah. Yeah. And I still had the metal hair. I had the forbidden haircut, the shaved around the sides and the back with the long hair. Oh, Classic. wow. And a ponytail. I had a bag with me. I had Walkman with some noise tapes. I can't really truthfully remember what they were. By that point, I had actually ordered from RR. My first order from RR was Death Squad Theological Genocide because that was the first chance I got to actually right. yeah, yeah. have the album the show. After, yeah, yeah. after the ill-fabled show. Yeah. Sickness. No one cries for the death of a disease, CDR. Wow. Very underrated, very important American noise release. Mm. So I took the bus. I got out of the bus station. No map quest, no fucking nothing. So I'm just walking around Lowell. Obviously, I knew the address. So I just started asking people, like, hey, how do I get to Page Street? <laughs> and anybody that has been to Lowell, I can only imagine what it's like now, given the state of every other American city. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back then, it was really sketchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just wandering around, I finally found Page Street, and I just sat on a bench. Is it just me, or is everyone in Lowell is, like, totally fucked up? <laughs> <laughs> Went into RR, and Ron was there. He had a sweater on, standing behind the counter. Now, it's important to know, this is the second location of RR. It was Central Street, but it was the interim location. Two glass fronts with a glass hallway and then a door that sat back. Mm-hmm. So there was stuff in there, but it wasn't really obvious. Ron was standing behind the counter. There's a f- the big photo of Pat framed on the wall, which I had obviously seen a thousand times already yeah. because of the old self-abuse site and because of the two o'clock matinee. I cannot think of Pat and not think of that, that photo. I know. Yeah, absolutely. So when we did the skin grind box, I wrote to Ron. I said, can I please can you send me this photo so he can use it for the poster? So he just sent me the photo and I had it <laughs> scanned high resolution. And I just yeah. sent him back the photo. Oh my God. <laughs> but it was like a big photo. It was a large size photo. Yeah. Anyway. So I walk in there and instantly Ron's like, are you dumb? And I was like, yeah, he just knew. He just like, yeah, I got, I know. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. let's be honest. Like, what other How many? Moron How many are you? year old. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With a triple X leather jacket. <laughs> a fisherman yeah. always recognizes another fisherman at sea, right? There you go. Yeah. With his pockets turned inside out. Yeah. His yeah. shoelaces <laughs> untied. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe like a thimble and a button. Yeah. <laughs> And I was looking around, and GX walked in. Wow. And he's wearing the black Carhartt overalls, and he had the eye patch. And I was just like, <laughs> starstruck. You know, I was like, oh my fucking God. I was like, I better play it cool because this is an opportunity. So sad. And so they're talking. It's just me, GX, and Ron in the store. I finally work up the courage, and I'm like, hey, uh, I brought some tapes. Do you want to carry them? Yeah. He said, let me see what you got. And I put all the stuff on the counter. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. All right, right. Oh, yeah. And he says, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I can't take any of these. I just can't do anything with them. And I said, uh, I mean, these are like noise tapes. <laughs> like, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, um, I just know they'll never, ever, 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 ever going to sell. <laughs> and I thought, well, can you take them on consignment? Which... <laughs> To backtrack a little bit, I had learned what consignment was from earwax. Right, you had yeah. said that they were taking things on consignment. So you're like, oh, I know that. Consignment. And he had already taken the bad timing on wholesale. Right. Which confused me. Right, right, and right. admittedly, I had also written to Pat at that point before going to college. And Pat was so cool and down to earth as he always is, always has been. He said, yeah, I could take some of these what's the wholesale price? And I said, what's wholesale? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh... yeah. And of course, Pat being Pat explained everything to me. Mm -hmm. You have your manufacturing cost and you mark it up like this. Yeah. You asked, you asked Ron. Would you take them on consignment? You know, I, I can't. I said, not even on consignment? And he says, mm. not even on consignment. And he's like, from everything I've seen and everything I've heard, I just know they're just never, ever, 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 ever going to sell. And, you know, when I start hearing about you in, in the magazines and from my <laughs> friends, I'll let you know. And I was devastated. I was shattered. I was crushed. And I went back out on Central Street and I went back to that bench full of all the crackheads and junkies. And I just sat there. <sighs> And my dreams rejected. were destroyed. I was yeah. completely rejected. And I made a note. I said, I will never, ever, ever work with RRR. <laughs> <laughs> I waited around and I went to the show. I have to give a shout out to Lynn Lessinger from Bargain Basement, who had also come down. His project was from Utica. There was a little art gallery. I don't know what it was. Ron would know better than me. And there was paintings. GX was there. And I was like, what do you think of these paintings? He's like, oh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. And I was like, oh, they, I, they, they, look, they look like static. And he's like, oh, well, if I, if I saw them like that, maybe I'd like them more. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just trying so hard. Yeah. I was he's trying like, so hard to connect. Yeah was like falling down. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember standing outside, I don't know what street it was. And it was GX and Ron, Chris from Sickness, I think. Fuck, was it? I think and, it was Chris from Sickness. And Pat, right? And it was Pat. And I didn't realize that Pat was going to be there and Pat was playing in the haters. And that just completely blew my mind because I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of playing in somebody else's project or playing in a band that right. was noise. And I of course recognized Pat. This is unreal. This is surreal, but it just happened to be like the handful of guys that I'd been in touch with and just happened to all be there in person. So again, pers people place and thing. Mm -hmm. They were all super 
cool and tolerated me and I was an insane punisher <laughs> and a newbie and a poser and a rookie and didn't know a damn thing and had a triple XL leather jacket. <laughs> I was like fucking Fifle. Yeah. <laughs> like Fifle comes to America. Green goes to RRR. Yeah. And just gets rejected and like, yeah, yeah, gets shut down. Later on in the show, and it was, ah, fuck, I need to look for a second because I had asked Ron to confirm this, and he did confirm it. That your tapes will never, ever, ever sell. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he played an amazing anti-record set. Oh. I don't know if it was technically as due process. It was Ron standing in a room, and he had a whole bunch of anti-records and anti-45s. He would stand there. I don't know if it was the Minotoli or not because I didn't, really understand what that was at that time. Mm-hmm. And he would just flip through them like it was a deck of cards and he would find an anti-record and he, without looking, he would just hand it to the guy next to him. Mm-hmm. And that guy next to him was Jay Sullivan, who did a label called Spare Parts. I remember Jay. He was in a duo with Howie Stelzer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Jay played it behind the green door before. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. According to Ron, he was a student at Lowell High and he started doing his own noise and making his own anti-records. And then he started Spare Parts. He did a few tapes. Ron was just playing anti-records that he had made. I know the Lockgroove 7-inch, I know the RR100, is that what they're playing? It was so confusing to me, but also sort of made sense. This is what these guys are doing. And the haters break records up and they staple them together. So it made sense. It was record destruction. Right. But anything beyond that, I just, I couldn't understand. I didn't know if they were noise records or where the noise was coming from. It was, I was like watching the snowfall. What the fuck is going on? But I can't stop looking at it. And then the haters played. It was Pat and GX. And it was the untitled title belt. They had the wrestling mask. It was in a gutted room. In my mind, it was full of boards that had been taken down from the wall because it was Mm. about to be demolished. But Pat actually recently sent me a photo of that set. And in the background, it didn't look like that. So I don't know if it was just in the photo or in my imagination. Regardless, they had planks of wood and amplified drills going through the untitled title bill. GX was drilling slowly and Pat was drilling really fast. One hole after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. Mm. Totally crazed. Driller killer. (laughs) (laughs) They played for, I don't know how long, It, it didn't seem long. And it was devastating fucking, for lack of a better word, it was wall of noise, which I just absolutely despise that whole mentality. It defeats the entire purpose of noise. They played maybe 10 or 15 minutes and blew the power. <laughs> and all the lights shut yeah. out. So everyone was standing in this pitch black warehouse on Halloween in Lowell. It couldn't have been better. Mm-hmm. It was everything in my imagination that it could have been, even to the point of destroying the sound system. And skin crime and the fucking bell and the whole thing. And then I walked out on the street and had nowhere to go. Right. You, so you hadn't yeah. even planned. I had no plan. I couldn't live without seeing the haters in Lowell on Halloween and going to the noise Mecca RRR. I didn't give a shit about anything else. I was a street urchin. <laughs> I went back and I just sat on the bench. And I was like, I guess I'm just going to sit here and wait for the bus to come back <laughs> just like all over, night long in Lowell, whenever, which is yeah. overrun with drug addicts. Yes. yes. The guy from Bargain Basin was like, you don't have anywhere to go? 
Mm-hmm. No. You don't have anywhere to stay? No. You have any money? No. Sorry, at, at RR, I bought Skin Crime Live Solapsism CDR. Yes. And a Stimbox Recycled Tape. <laughs> Amazing. And that's part. all I could afford. I had the John Duncan, John C. Soundstracks picture disc in my hand, but I had to put it back due to cough. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you spent all your money had been spent at Triple All my money was spent brought- on, on Stimbox and Skin Crime <laughs> in my bus ticket. <laughs> and I was just wading through my triple XL leather biker yeah. jacket. And you're that's you're like, I'm gonna go yeah. sit on this bench with my skin crime live CD and just wait it out. And my rejection. Yeah, my re- yeah. just I'm just gonna a, wait with my rejection. Just a haze of rejection over you. Making never, a list of never, well, never work, work with that with. guy. <laughs> and so the bargain basic guy was like, Come on, kid, I'll get you a room. In my mind, he had a Camaro. <laughs> and he also had a leather jacket. <laughs> and he drove me to a hotel, which at the time seemed really nice. In Red Ring, it was probably just like a crack hotel. Right. In right. Yeah. And he I got mean, me a roll. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. got oh me a Oh, my God. That is wow. so sweet. Shout out to Bargain Basement. Wow. And I waited the next morning, and I took a taxi. And I remember feeling strange because the taxi had no barrier. <laughs> like it was just like a car. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just sitting in a car with some guy. Yeah. Like these days. Yeah. It's a little taxi. Yeah. <laughs> Without the shower curtain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and without the hope. Yeah. <laughs> I went back. Oh, sorry. So I, I fucked myself because I was like, the conclusion of the story is I went back home and I was blown away and I was exhilarated and I got out a pen and paper and I was bound and determined. I made a list. I will never work with RRR Records. <laughs> I wish you had that list. <laughs> I owe everything to Ron. He said the true test of any noise artist is on the stage and is live. Once I started getting my shit together in Providence and doing gigs locally, he said, you need to go on tour. No way. I'll never tour. I'm never going to do this. This is crazy. I couldn't last on a tour. When I do a show, it takes me a week to recover from a show. This is when I was throwing myself backwards onto cement floors every night. Yeah. Which is crazy that I didn't get more fucked up from that. Yeah. I mean, mean, not that I'm not completely fucked up now. (laughs) (laughs) You were throwing yourself backwards on a concrete floors and into my wife. Uh, and knocking That's her right. uh, uh, 50 feet in the air. <laughs> Which was on that first tour. Yeah, with yeah. Ron and, and Immaculate Grotesque. It's a great show. Yeah, and I have to give a huge shout out and huge credit to Jeff from Truculent and Immaculate Grotesque because he introduced me to just so much, so much music. Great. Did you know Jeff? Oh, yeah, yeah. I put out Immaculate Grotesque and used to order from Truculent all the time. That's right. Yeah, but Ron was the one that pushed me to do it, and it was totally alien to me. But once I tore that Band-Aid off, it was just, from that point on, we basically toured the country, like, I don't know how many times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then it became Bolio and Crank Surgeon and Purient. I think we did two or three tours, and then eventually it was just me and Ron. But I think going back to talking about... And then Ron about, started doing his own tours. 
talking about being that rejection though that you got from Ron on that that first trip, I think it's I think it's a huge I think it's an important thing that even though in your mind you were like I'm not this is it I'm never working with this guy again, but it did push you. To, Absolutely, and I think that's something. That, there was something there. Doing. There was yeah. something there, and I think that it's an important thing, especially for anyone starting out or anyone doing this. Like you're going expect rejection, and just you take that and and use that. You know, use the, that to push yourself. The first Hive Mind show was at first. I believe the first show might have been the second. Was it Angelo's uh, uh, auto body? <laughs> yeah, was it was at a uh, logger house. Afterwards, I asked Ron what he thought of my set. Oh, and my he, God. And he said, do you want me to be nice or you want me to tell you the truth? <laughs> he is so important because he was an editor and he mm-hmm. had the ability to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong. <laughs> He understood the importance of the art over emotions, over feelings. A lot of people are not able or willing to receive that. If you are open to constructive criticism at an early stage and at a late stage, at any stage. I think in any stage, absolutely. It is so critical to finding your own voice because even if you disagree or you know that the criticism is wrong, just because you're a critic doesn't mean you're right. Right. It's about the mental process of being able to gain self-awareness, evaluate, deconstruct, problem solve. Yes. Just because I hate you doesn't mean I don't hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's and it's an important, yeah. Hey, yeah. that hate, it, it's a two-way street. Yeah. Hate doesn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in the day, and this goes along with, Romer and Ron, Miko, and anybody that had the ability to criticize, it was that you had to earn the respect of your elders. Maybe it's the Italian in me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. It wasn't as if there was some weird rite of passage. You were accepted just by existing because there was such a lack of people. Yeah. The difference is that those people were not necessarily your friends. There was no concept of being true. If you were there, you were true, even if you were new, because nobody started there. Everyone came from something else. Mm -hmm. It's a symptom of when the social aspect supersedes the art. That's the no fun era, right? Yes. That was probably the biggest era in terms of head count. There hasn't been a lot of really powerful documents that have come out of that era. Correct. Yes. It was a hell of a lot of people. And there was great stuff too. And the show itself was so powerful. Volume isn't necessarily the equation in determining reach because you think now you look back and you say, well, where are all those people? Yeah. Where are the hundreds of people that showed up every night? Yeah. Yeah. The path that you take to noise is more important than the reach in and of itself. The process supersedes the volume. It's not an equivalent equation. You don't just put more and more and more and more ingredients. It's bringing something else to it. As soon as it becomes insular or as soon as it becomes social, then it somehow loses authority, self-awareness, or ability to accept criticism. 
ability to evolve, to go within, because noise comes from such a place of the interior world, isn't really born out of a scene, so to speak, or at least it wasn't in its peak. Necessity informing an experience because you were probably the only person that cared is more valuable than sharing that experience with hundreds of people. And it is because the art form in and of itself requires some kind of exploration. It requires some kind of criticism. You're always leaving something behind to go to noise. No one starts at noise. So if you don't have self-awareness, you can't accept criticism. And if you can't accept criticism, you can't leave something behind. In many ways, noise is about loss. You have to experience some kind of damage or some kind of, as some people I know say, everyone is deranged in their own way. <laughs> yeah. And that's not to say that everything is the same emotion. It's a process in your brain that you have to see something differently. I do think that noise does represent destruction. I'm not one of these people that revises history and says, it's just sound waves. Bullshit. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolute <laughs> bullshit. Okay, so is a forgery of a painting the same as the original this, because it's, hey, it's just paint on pigment. It's just yeah. pigment, right? It's just yeah. paint on canvas. Yeah. Bullshit. It comes yeah. from destruction, whether you like it or not. It came from war. It comes from art. It comes from rejecting punk. It comes from John Cage. It is inherently destructive in its quality. And I really resent this current attitude that it's any other form of music, that it's any other kind of sound, that it's any other kind of culture. It isn't. I mean, what other culture can you name where you could package a cassette and a grilled cheese sandwich. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.